the problem physician, impact, and identification. You're listening to ReachMD, XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician Roundtable. I'm Dr. Gary Cohn, your host, and with me today is Dr. Lynn Hankus. Dr. Hankus is Clinical Professor Emeritus at the University of Washington School of Medicine in the Department of Psychiatry and Behavioral Sciences. He served 13 years as the full-time director of the Washington State Physicians Health Program, and he is among the 100 pioneer physicians in the U.S. who passed the first certification exam in addiction medicine. Today, we're going to be talking about the problem physician, impact, and identification. Lynn, thanks for being with us today. We appreciate your uh, taking some time to talk to us about this important issue. Maybe before we get started, uh, could you tell us a little bit about your background and how you got to uh, an interest in addiction medicine? Well, early in my surgical career, I became aware of some uh, physicians who had problems with uh, alcoholism and uh, became a volunteer on the Illinois State Medical Society Panel for Impaired Physicians, which was that state's early version of a physician health program. Uh, I learned, uh, indeed, that doctors were not immune to contracting alcoholism as they're not immune to contracting many other illnesses, but uh, that they could be identified early, uh, intervened upon, referred for evaluation, and if found to have a medical condition that could potentially cause some impairment, they could be successfully treated and then monitored in order to protect the public. So I became fascinated with that whole arena of activity and did some interventions, learned about treatment resources, watched physicians progress through treatment, participated in some of their monitoring, and did some interventions and that kind of thing, and eventually decided to get into addiction medicine and was one of the first 113 physicians in the country back in 1983 to be certified in addiction medicine. Now there are many thousands. Which is a good thing, it sounds like. Yes, it is. From where you sit today, what would you say are the major problems of docs and, uh, say, other doctorate-level healthcare professionals? Well, in addition to the rapidly changing field in the game uh, and the playing field in medicine that has to do with all the economics, the still basic problems of human nature are prevalent. And doctors still have to deal with chemical dependency. They can acquire a mental illness themselves. They can develop stress disorders. They can develop psychosexual disorders. There are disruptive doctors that can't interface properly with uh, medical staff and hospital staff and patients. And then, unfortunately, there's always the incompetent or dated doctor who no longer can practice up to our fine standards of care. And, of course, the worst down at the bottom of the barrel, hopefully, is the unethical doctor. Now, physician health programs deal primarily with doctors who have medical conditions that are potentially impairing, and those primarily are alcoholism, drug dependency, or if they have both of those, and either of those rather, and a mental illness, we call that a dual diagnosis, or they can just have a mental illness all alone without any chemical dependency. Those are the ones we primarily deal with. Mm -hmm. Lynn, you you use the term chemical dependency, and I think for many of us that means different things. As a, a specialist in addiction medicine, how would you define that? Well, chemical dependency is another term we use for addiction. Chemical dependency includes alcoholism and any other drug dependency, and the operative word there is other because ethyl alcohol is uh, a drug itself. Alcoholism is is a primary chronic disease with uh, genetic, psychosocial, and environmental factors that influence its development and manifestations. Uh, This disease is uh, 
often very progressive, and it is uh, oftentimes fatal. It's characterized by continued or periodic impaired control over drinking, preoccupation with the drug alcohol, uh, use of alcohol despite adverse consequences, and some distortions in thinking, which we call uh, denial. Is there any reason to think that uh, the prevalence of chemical dependency is different than the public at large? Uh, should it be less? Should it be greater? What's your thoughts on that? Well, years ago, when I wrote a chapter for one of the textbooks uh, called Substance Abuse, Dr. LeClaire Bissell and I co-authored a chapter on uh, medical professionals. And one of our first tasks was to research the answer to the question you just asked, uh, is the prevalence greater in medical professionals? And at that time, and I'm talking now back in the uh, early 80s when we published that, the thinking then was, yes, it's much greater in medical professionals because uh, they're in the so-called candy store. In other words, because they have greater access to uh, addicting chemicals that the prevalence would be greater. However, what we found in our research, and which has stood the test of time since then, namely over the last 20 years, the prevalence is not greater in the medical professionals. What's different is how they use drugs and the types they use. If you are just joining us, you're listening to Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Gary Cohn, and I'm speaking with Dr. Lynn Hankus, and we're discussing the problem physician impact and identification. Lynn, you were talking about uh, the difference in uh, physicians is how the drugs are being used. Could you tell us a little bit more about that? The doctor's actual drug of choice across the board is ethyl alcohol. Mm -hmm. We did a 13-year study, which we published in JAMA, I'll tell you about later, that showed uh, 56% of uh, physicians use alcohol and alcohol only. Another 18% uh, get into what we call the minor opioids. These are the oral potent narcotic uh, analgesics, uh, such as uh, codeine, hydrocodone, uh, oxycodone. You're talking percentages of people that are in a program. Right. I'm talking about of all the physicians who come in our program. Right. This is their drug-taking profile. I see. And another 14% use the so-called fentanyl group. Uh, that's an extremely potent uh, narcotic used primarily by anesthesiologists and other what we call major opioids or narcotics, such as Demerol and morphine. This is primarily the group that self-injects. Uh, very few uh, physicians use illegal drugs, such as cocaine, less than 5%. Some of the younger uh, physicians get involved with marijuana, but it's not, it's not a prominent drug in the physician population. Well, we've got a little bit of a picture now of uh, people that get into a PHP. How do docs actually get there? How do they get referred? Do they volunteer? Do people uh, turn them in? How, how does that routinely work? Well, years ago, I used to say that there's no such thing as a volunteer. Uh, no one came knocking on our door said, I heard about your wonderful program. I want to come to these weekly meetings and bear my soul to total strangers in a group uh, setting. I want to um, provide a urine sample on demand in a bottle, and I want to spend the rest of my life in smoke-filled church basements going to those meetings. However, in recent years, uh, we have had a few volunteers, because even the, the physicians who are sick have come to realize that these programs are there to help them, that they are alternatives to discipline. They're rehabilitative uh, alternative to discipline. However, the vast majority do not report themselves, and there are several reasons for that. The main one being they're still in denial. There's a thing called the MDD syndrome, 
which is a coin, and on one side it says, because I'm a doctor, I know about all these things, it could never happen to me. And then on the other side of that MDD coin is the mentality, well, if by some quirk of fate or remote chance it does happen to me, and I get one of these illnesses, I'll be able to take care of it myself. So most of uh, uh, the folks who are in a physician health program uh, are referred by colleagues. These are fellow physicians or they are colleagues they work with in the hospital or clinic setting. And in recent years, again, because uh, we've developed a lot of credibility within the medical community, we are now even getting some uh, referrals from spouses. Yeah, I imagine that's uh, that's progress uh, in the educational yes. side. You mentioned something, Lynn, about physicians generally don't volunteer because they're still in denial. Could you talk a little bit about that phenomenon? Well, denial is a subconscious defense mechanism that protects the mind from extremely bad news. It's a protective defense mechanism. Thank God we've got it. What it is, is it's a dis- for the physician who, say, for example, is alcoholic or drug-dependent, it's a distortion of the relationship that exists between that individual and the chemical. And that distortion is of psychotic proportions. The rest of their world is not distorted like a schizophrenic. It's just their relationship with the chemical. And they don't see it as being problematic. They do not see the cause and effect relationship between the drinking, drugging, and the subsequent problems. As a matter of fact, they have it reversed. And they rationalize, well, I drink because of all the problems. If you had to deal with uh, managed care and HMOs and malpractice carriers and demanding publics and so forth and so on, or if you had a wife or kid or child or job like I got, you'd drink too. This denial must be penetrated in order for you to make any progress at all with uh, someone who's got this illness. Now, denial, by the way, is not confined just to chemical dependency. If you've read any Elizabeth Kieber Ross work on death and dying, five stages of dying Number one is denial. You know, that's very similar to the cancer patient who goes to the physician who tells the patient you've got pancreatic cancer and two years to live. His first or her reaction is, whoa, wait a minute, doc. You know, are you sure you're reading that x-ray right or that MRI or that CAT scan? Listen, I'm getting a second opinion. That's what we call denial. Mm -hmm. However, what we joke in the field about MD, meaning malignant denial, (laughs) uh, and physicians who get sick, tend to really have lots of denial, like physicians who have uh, blood on the tissue paper think it's from hemorrhoids, not colon cancer, or blood that they cough up has got to be bronchitis. It can't be lung cancer. It's the same phenomenon. How about those of us who are potential uh, referral sources? Do we have denial when looking at our colleagues who may have a problem? You know, that's an excellent point that you raised, Gary, because that is exactly true. Uh, There's a vulnerability in that. If I think you, Dr. Cohn, has a problem, as an example. I'm going to be a little hesitant to report you because I will come to the conclusion, my Lord, Gary Cohn's got a problem? He's a physician. Gee, I'm a physician, too. That means I could get the problem. So it puts you in a, in a vulnerable position, and so that kind of undermines the, the reporting process a little bit. That's not as prevalent today as it used to be because of the educational effort that has gone on surrounding uh, chemical dependency. Do you think, uh, Lynn, that most docs would know where to go and who to go to if they suspected a colleague uh, needed help? I think today uh, that's a much more available and accurate portrayal. In years gone by, it wasn't so, but almost every state now has a physician health program. 
these are widely publicized through the medical association and, and the hospitals and the various clinical practices. And uh, I think it's become fairly well known throughout the medical community that there is help available. We can never fall back and, and rest on our laurels and develop any complacency about that, but most, most of the time they do. There's help out there someplace, and they can access it fairly rapidly. That is, uh, that is encouraging. And, Lynn, I want to thank you for taking some time to uh, share with us your thoughts about the problem physician and some issues on identification. It's been very helpful. My thanks to Dr. Lynn Hankus, who has been our guest. We've been talking about the problem physician impact and identification. I'm Dr. Gary Cohn. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. For questions and comments, please send your email to xm at reachmd.com or visit us at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.